You are listening to Press Church Podcasts. Please enjoy this week's message. The title of my sermon today is, What is Your Presentation? What is your presentation? Whether you like it or not, you are always presenting yourself in some way, shape, or form. You're presenting yourself in what you do on a day-to-day basis. You're presenting yourself on how you dress, what you post on social media, the text messages that you send out, how you handle yourself at work, how you raise your family, how you manage your life schedule. We're always presenting ourselves everywhere that we go. When I'm at work, I work from home, so I guess I'm not traveling, but when I'm sitting at my desk at home, the emails that I am sending out, the phone calls that I am making, the conversations that I am having with my coworkers and with my bosses, I am always presenting myself. Knowing that I'm a pastor in the community, there's a certain way that I know I should and need to present myself whenever I interact with other people in the community. I present my family to people and how I raise my kids and how me and my wife interact and how our marriage is, that we're always constantly presenting ourselves and that we need to be aware of that presentation because we know that on a time-by-time basis, We can look at our schedules and see what's most important to us. When people say, I don't have time to do that, usually that means it's just not a priority to me. Because we can look at our schedule and see what our time looks like and we can see what our priorities are. So today I want to look at some scriptures that teach us how we should present ourselves And the second part of the scriptures, I want to show us how Jesus presents us. How Jesus presents us. How should you present yourself? We have three scriptures on how you should present yourself. We have three scriptures on how Jesus presents us. Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to start. Verses 12 through 14. Romans chapter 6, this is Paul writing to the church in Rome, writing to the Gentiles, writing specifically to you and me, and he says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey in its lust. Verse 13 says, and do not, what we should not do, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but... Present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Verse 12 says, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body. We have a a specific verb there that we need to pay attention to. Do not let. Let means that there is a choice. Let means that there is an action. Let means that there is a decision when it comes to sinning. That as your pastor, I've told you this before, I highly encourage you not to sin. 
It would not do well for you and your family to sin. We know that it says in the Scriptures that the wages of sin is death. No ifs, ands, or buts. The more you sin, the closer you get to death. Yay, amen, what a, what a great sermon. Preach it, preacher. But this says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. Let's be honest, sin is enticing. Sin is fun to do for a short period of time, but it's not a way that we should present ourselves. Verse 13 says, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Well, how can I overcome sin? That's the question. Quit preaching and telling me about sin. Tell me how to overcome it. Don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead. Ah, there's our answer. Here is a, a, a theological stance that you should understand and forever be grateful for that God did not send His Son to turn bad people good. God sent His Son for the simple fact of turning dead people to alive. We have this misconception sometimes in the body of Christ, that God sent His Son to just help me from being bad and, and, and I can force my way to maybe be good. That's not the case. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they died spiritually. And that seed bore a harvest. And every human reaped that harvest. Thanks, Adam and Eve. What a jerk. And that harvest was being dead spiritually. And every person who is born on this earth is, yes, born alive physically, but born dead spiritually. And Jesus showed up, and he tries to tell the religious leader in John chapter 3 that you must be born again. He said, I have no idea what that means. Should I crawl back up into my mother's womb? What do you mean? And he says, how can you, being a religious leader, one who is preaching and teaching to the people, if you don't understand what this concept is, what the, uh, the prophets have talked about, what the scriptures have prophesied about, that something is changing. We're not just trying to get bad people to do good things. Jesus has come to ultimately turn the world upside down by bringing dead people and making them alive again. He says, you must be born again. And in that rebirth is the strength and the power and the authority to not let sin reign in your mortal body. It also helps you avoid the lust of sin, the shine of sin, the glitter of sin, the enticement of sin to help you present yourself. What could you do in life if you weren't always tied and handcuffed to that reoccurring sin in your life, the one that keeps pulling you back, the one that you keep stumbling over in front of your friends and family and coworkers, the one that you say, well, it's just come from generation to generation to generation, and it must be my turn to deal with it. No, no, no. 
there is a moment and a place and a time where I stand up and present myself as I am no longer a sinner, but now I am righteous. Not because of who I am, but because of the God who sent his son for me to believe on. But present yourself to God as being alive from the dead. I can't do that on my own strength. Hey God, I'm alive now. A dead man can't crawl out of a tomb and come to church. There's got to be something involved with that. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And he drives home the point in verse 14 where he says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're no longer under the law. You are now under grace. And where grace abounded at the moment where sin thought it had its biggest stronghold, grace said, nope, I'm going to cover that and go further. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body, for sin shall not have dominion over you. To present ourselves in an understanding of being righteous and not identifying anymore as that dead sinner, but alive. Look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We've heard this scripture before. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In verse 2, we've heard this a lot. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Romans 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And look what he says, which is your reasonable service. All right, Paul, get off your high horse. Let's be honest. At your reasonable service to be holy? How can I be holy? How can I present myself as a living ex- sacrifice, as acceptable to God? That I, I've got to quit my job. I've got to leave my family. I feel like that's going to take all day, all my mental uh, gusto that I can put on it. Be holy, be holy, be holy. Don't look up, don't look up. Don't look at your phone. Don't look at the internet. Don't listen to the news. Just close your eyes. Be holy, be holy, be holy. How can I do that? That seems impossible outside of the mercies of God. Look at the answer right there. Because people think when they read that scripture that it's all on them. How am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? How can I live a holy life? I stumbled again. A living sacrifice? Acceptable to God? How is that even possible outside of the mercies of God? It's not. But inside the mercies of God where you currently reside, you are holy. A living sacrifice. And if Jesus, if God accepted Jesus and his sacrifice, and you step into by believing on him, If he accepted Jesus, he'll accept you. And he'll accept you at any time. That whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. To present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. How can I not be conformed to this world? goes back to verse 1, the mercies of God. How can I transform by the renewing of my mind? It's being washed in the mercies of God. It says in the Scriptures that His mercies are new every morning. Because every morning, every day, there is a new set of problems that my brain and my mind and my heart is going to lead me down a path of worry, of fear, of questioning, of trying to figure this out. But the first thing I can do when I wake up is get a brand new batch of mercies, a brand new batch of holiness, understanding that I'm accepted by him to help me get through the day. Then whatever comes against me, I've already got my cup of coffee and my cup of mercies as I'm ready to attack the day, to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, of understanding of who I am, the position that I am, because I believe on Him, because God is on my side, because I'm trusting in Jesus, because His Holy Spirit is inside of me, I don't have to think those thoughts. The last scripture we have on how you should present yourself, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of of truth. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. All of these three scriptures constantly have these action verbs for us to constantly be aware and focused on God. And the more that we focus on God and focus on who He is and what He's done for us and the price that He's paid, then it helps us present ourselves in a brand new light. That as I walk through life, as I go through life, people know when bad things happen to us. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news to you, but we live in a fallen world. It says that it rains on the just and the unjust in the Scriptures. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things are happening all over and all around us. It's how we respond to those things. I'm not going to let this hold me down. I'm not going to let this define me. I'm not going to let it keep me in this place. I'm moving forward. God is a God of movement. He is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. So if it's not the end, that means there's still more to go and I'm not going to stay stuck in this position. So I'm going to present myself as I walk through life as God has presented me, that I'm holy, that I'm blameless, that he has accepted me The rest of the world might have rejected me, but he's accepted me. So therefore, if he's accepted me, and it says that God is on my side, if it says the favor of God surrounds me like a shield, if it says that I have favor with God and with man, everywhere I go, every step that I take is a win because he's already given me the victory. He's already caused me to triumph, is what the scripture says. This type of Preaching this type of lifestyle, this type of understanding of the scriptures is what draws people to the church. Because I I saw you go through that. 
I saw on social media, I talked to your family, I heard this happen to you, I'm so sorry to hear that. Thank you, thank you. But with God, all things are possible. We're moving forward. God's gonna bless us, God's gonna restore what the devil meant for evil. God is gonna work all things through the good. When you start presenting yourself like that, you stand up a little bit taller. Some of the things of this world don't affect you as much as they did in the past because you know who's on your side. You know who's cheering you on. You know who's interceding for you. You know who's your champion and who's championing for you. How you should present yourself. One of the things that I ultimately hate in life, and and you might agree with me, is interviews. I hate going on interviews. Because you have to go and present yourself to these people who don't know you, for the most part, at all. You've got to put on a suit. I don't know if that's relevant anymore. I haven't interviewed in a while, but (laughs) you've got to put on a suit or something nice that you don't normally wear. You go and sit in front of somebody and you've got to sell yourself. They ask you these crazy questions. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? How do you answer that? Well, I'm not reliable at all. I never show up to work. My strength is I like to get paid. My weakness is I hate to work. Can I start on Monday? If you're in the sales industry, that one question is the, the interviewee pulls out a pen and he says, sell me this pen. I don't know, you want to buy a pen? I don't, that's, that's my sales pitch. I don't know what you got. How would you eat an elephant? Describe synergy in two sentences. I, I don't know. I don't. Ultimately, in that interview, I don't really care what the company is and what they're doing. I need money. I mean, I just want to sit there and be like, I need money. I have a family. I have a wife, kids, and you're the first one that called me back. I, so I just showed up. I just. But it's so hard to present yourself in that interview because I feel like in a weird way, I'm, I'm lying and I'm not, I'm not telling the truth. I'm just trying to gauge your interest of what you want me to say to entice you enough and then once I get in the building, I'll, I'll show you that I'm a good worker and that we can talk, but I hate the interviews. And we have to make these sacrifices. But I want to encourage you that you'll never regret presenting yourself in the way of the kingdom of God. That if I'm not going to let sin reign in my mortal body, And I'm going to have to let some things go by the wayside. Who cares what the world thinks? Because ultimately, my heart and my desire, when I go on interviews, is I I don't read the the culture of the company. I don't know the company's motto. I, I don't dive into what they're all doing. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, my heart is fully invested in that. I'm totally sold out to God and his purpose and his calling. And I will do whatever it takes to present myself in a way that honors the kingdom of God. And if I've got to lay down some sins, if I've got to let go of some lust, if if I've got to change some things in my life, 
to present myself in an honorable way to the kingdom of God, then I'll do that. I'll let some things go. Because the thing is, the closer I get to him and his heart, this, the song goes, the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light, the glory of him, of seeing him, of experiencing him, of being a part of his kingdom. We've been in ministry for over 10 years now. And the men and women that we have encountered that have blessed us and sowed into our lives and the opportunity over multiple states that we've got to sow into other people's lives, that I can go on social media and see kids in our youth group getting married and graduating and, and doing all of these things. One of our youth group kids is in the military right now. He's in, which one? Jacob, Afghanistan, Iraq. I think it's Iraq that, that he's in. I got to go see him when I went down to, to help my dad during the hurricane. And he's with the National Guard, and he was, uh, they were guarding uh, a Walgreens. Uh, they were guarding all the pharmacies at the time and, uh, and got to spend some time with him. And after all these years of being apart, to sit there and talk with him and him just talk about God. Him just talk about the walk that he has with God. And this is someone that we've encountered, that we poured into at the very beginning of ministry. And to see the seeds that have been sown, to see these men and women, these kids grow up and still taste and see that the Lord is good. And to know that on the future, on the horizon, that tomorrow I might meet somebody. And I've got to be ready to present myself and present the kingdom of God to them. The last thing I want to highlight, three scriptures, is how Jesus presents you. You can't present yourself in these scriptures outside of first understanding how Jesus presents you. We didn't love first, he loved first. And because he loved first, we know how to love. How can I present myself unless I know and see how Jesus is presenting me? Because when you see how Jesus presents you, it doesn't... It just makes you want to present for him. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Could we stop right there? That's a rough one. As a husband, that's a rough one. There are some scriptures in the Bible where I say, Jesus, you couldn't have worded that a little bit different Husbands, love your wives. Okay, I can, I can do that. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself. All right, now you're just getting, you're getting a little too crazy there. No ifs, ands, or buts. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, if you're married, your wife's sitting next to you, just, just squeeze her hand. Just whisper a sweet little nothing in her ear. Tell her how much you love her. Baby, I love you. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. If you're hoping to get married too, just, just reach over to that empty chair next to you and just squeeze that future spouse right there. I love you. He or she is coming your way in Jesus' name. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Now understand, he's talking about the church. 
understand, family, that you right now are in the church. Right now, you are the body of Christ and in the church. So he is talking about you right now in this moment as we are preaching Scripture over you. He is washing you in the water of the Word right now. He is giving you a bath. Every time you come to church and you are getting hearing the Scripture, you are getting a bath. He is washing you. Verse 27, here it is, that he might present her, being the church, being you specifically, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he should, that she, the church, you, should be holy and without blemish. You see, I know my blemishes. Standing in front of a mirror, After a shower, as you get older, you notice your blemishes. You notice your spots. You notice your failures. You notice your insecurities. You notice these things very easily. And we think, or at least I think at times, that people can see those spots. They can see those blemishes. They can see those insecurities from a mile away. And in my mind, if anybody can see them, then Jesus, the most he can see them, But that's not what he says. It says when he sees you and he presents you, he presents you as holy, blameless, without spot or wrinkle. That he might present you, the church, to himself, a glorious church. A glorious church? Man, the American church seems to be having some ups and downs. Last year, we had a lot of quote-unquote celebrity preachers have some things exposed in their lives, and not only was it exposed in their lives and to their local churches, it was exposed nationwide. The American church, from this side of glory, looks like there's some stains, there's some spots, there's some wrinkles, there's some division. Well, we believe this, and we're going to go start this church over here. Well, we don't believe that, so we're going to stay here and do this. Well, we kind of believe this, so we're going to leave both of y'all and start our own thing. But Jesus says he presents to himself a glorious church. So if God has hope for church, then I have hope for church. If he's still working on the church, then I'm still going to be there so he can work on me. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. And you, that's you and me, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. You were alienated, you were an enemy, you had wicked works. There wasn't much on your resume during the interview that Jesus says, oh, I want him. I've got all these things coming against me, and it says that he's the one that reconciled us, that there was nothing that I could do. I just have to believe on the reconcile. Verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death, here it is, to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. Are you seeing a pattern here? I keep seeing... 
my insecurities, my sins, my failures, my struggles on a day-to-day basis, but Jesus just keeps pushing holiness in front of me. He's holy. He's holy. He's presenting us. He's holy. Well, I, I, don't, I don't, you're holy and blameless because of his body of his flesh through death. The last scripture, Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter there. So Jude 24 and 25, the very last couple of scriptures. And it says, now to him, that's being Jesus, capital H, who is able to keep you from stumbling, glory be to God, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, verse 25, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever." Amen. Verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Do you see how you present yourself in the first group of scriptures? Well, how can I do that? How can I not let sin reign in my mortal body? How can I not have sin be dominion over me? How can I, how can I be holy? How can I do all those things? Well, we, we group it in with the other set of scriptures where Jesus says and presents us as holy, where Jesus says he is the one who can help you from not stumbling. So how can I not let sin reign in my mortal body? It's lean into him because he's the one who present me from stumbling. And if I stumble, he says that he'll pick me up. For righteous man falls... And how is he going to present you? He's going to present you faultless. Boy, I have a lot of faults. I know that. My wife knows that. My kids know that. I would like, I thought, this is what I thought whenever I saw ministry people, preachers and all that. I thought that Sunday morning was the holiest of days. That those men and women who were preaching up on stage and bringing the word of God, they had angelic interventions and encounters on Sunday morning. They didn't wake up to alarms. They woke up to the angels singing as they studied the word, as they prepared their sermon. As they got ready, they just sat on their sofa and, 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 and worshiped and did all these things. And then they would show up to church and they would preach these amazing things. Then I became a minister. And then I had kids. And then my wife comes up here to do worship, and it's just me and the kids, and I'm going to tell you that Sunday morning is the most unholiest of mornings, especially this morning. As I was trying to get ready and get dressed, and the kids were running and making a mess, and, and, and I'm trying to play some worship music, and I'm trying to, to study my sermon and make sure that it's the, the last bits are right and the scriptures are right, and I'm just running after kids and the dog, and it's just pure chaos on a Sunday morning. And then I get here, and that is why you see on Sunday, my hands lifted so high because I'm saying, God, please help me. Because I might have lost my Christianity the hour or two at the house before I got here. But I'm so thankful that it says he presents us as holy and blameless, that even when we stumble, he says, you're faultless. Yesterday marks an anniversary that most people don't know about. May 22nd, 2010. There was a man, very hard name to say, I'll try and do it. Laszlo, L-A-S-Z-L-O, Hanyez, H-A-N-Y-E-Z. May 22nd, 2010. He was just getting into this thing called cryptocurrency. 
He was one of the, the founding kind of people to understand how to mine this cryptocurrency called Bitcoin. You've heard that. Uh, it's starting to, to show up in the vernacular of, of uh, America. It used to be this niche group off in the corner that people were whispering about it, but cryptocurrency is getting more and more prevalent now, especially Bitcoin. And he mined some Bitcoin. He was figuring out. He even wrote a program on how to do that. And in May 22nd, 2010, he was on a message board, and he sent out this message that said, I am willing to offer somebody 10,000 Bitcoin if they would buy me a piece of pizza. And so somebody on the message board, he said, the message was, I want some pizza, but I want enough to have some for tomorrow. So somebody messaged him on the, the board on May 22nd, 2010, and says, I will buy you two large pizzas from Papa John's in exchange for 10,000 Bitcoins. At that time, Bitcoin was worth that much, 10,000, was worth about $15. So it was a fair exchange back then. 15 bucks, two pizzas, two large pizzas. And he gave it away. It says in the story that over the summer, he did this multiple times, and it, he believes that he probably gave away over 100,000 Bitcoin so that he could have pizza throughout that summer to feed him and his family. But in his mind, 10,000 Bitcoin, just throwing away 15 bucks. Today, right now, as of yesterday, Bitcoin is worth, one Bitcoin is worth around $38,000, hovers around $40,000. And if he would have had those 10,000 Bitcoins right now today, he would have over $400 million. So in the community, they celebrate May 22nd as buying a pizza with Bitcoin Day because it's believed that this was the first actual exchange of currency, the first actual purchase of anything with Bitcoin was two large Papa John pizzas. He didn't know what he had back then. He didn't know the 10000 that he was sitting on, which was worth 15 bucks. He didn't know what the future held was going to be worth $400 million. Right now in your life, you might not know what you're worth. You might be struggling with sin. You might be struggling with doubt, with insecurity, struggling to understand who you are and what Jesus is and what Jesus means to you. And you might think that your life is worth maybe 15 bucks. But when Jesus presents you your future self, you don't even know that you're worth $400 million. You don't even know what is inside of you, the giftings that are inside of you, the callings that are inside of you, that when you get a hold of Jesus and Jesus gets a hold of you, he turns around and presents you, not as just a $15 thing that can buy some pizzas, but he presents you as holy, blameless, faultless, glorious, sinless, Righteous. What is your presentation? How are you presenting yourself? And it's time for us to understand how Jesus presents us. How Jesus looks at us. 
God is no longer angry. It says in the Scriptures, He took out all His wrath. He took out all His anger on His Son. And if there's an ounce of anger left toward humanity, then He's not a just God. He took out every angry thing that He had on His Son. It says it pleased the Father to punish Him. He's no longer angry. He's now your father. He's now he's proud of you. Now he's excited. Now he wants all humanity to come to him. And in turn, Jesus has the joy and the honor of presenting his brothers and sisters to his father. And Jesus, how he presents is God, look at your children. Look how holy they are. Look how blameless they are. Look how faultless they are. Because of my blood, because of what I did, because of what you did to me, because of that great exchange, look at the harvest we have now. As you go through life, make sure you look at how you're presenting yourself and remember how Jesus is presenting you. Let's stand up as we get ready to head out. Father, we thank you for today. Jesus, I thank you for how you present us, how you see us. Father, help us see us how you see us. That as we read your word, as we come to your church, your glorious church, your spotless church, your beautiful church, as we step in here, you see us the same way as you see your church. Father, help us see that way about ourselves. That, Father, we know our faults, our failures, our sins, our insecurities, because we're, we're human. And we feel that and we know that in our emotions and all these things. But it says in the Scriptures that you, Jesus, on this earth were tempted just like us. You experienced the same emotions, the same temptations, the same encounters just like us, and you overcame sin. If you overcame sin, then we can overcome it too. So, Father, I thank you for these people here today. I thank you that as we go out into the world, we present ourselves the way that you present us. We see ourselves the way you see us. We encourage ourselves and we encourage those around us the way that you have encouraged us through your scriptures. Father, I thank you that you are washing us in your word today. You are cleansing us in your word today. You're renewing our mind with your word today, that it is washing over us. It is removing all of those bad thoughts. It's removing all of those impure thoughts. It's removing all of those impure emotions and those hurtful emotions that we encounter on a day-to-day basis. As we sit in your church today, your word is washing all of that away and cleaning us as we go into this week. Father, I thank you that your word says that each and every person here has the mind of Christ. Your word says that they are the head and not the tail. They are above and not beneath. Your word says that everything they put their hands to must prosper. Your word says that they are healed by the stripes of Jesus. Your word says that they are a city set on a hill, the salt and light of the earth that we refuse to be hidden. Your word says that we are blessed and highly favored, that we have the opportunity to be blessed and also be a blessing. So let us be a blessing as we go out this week and meet and encounter your people and encounter people who are hurting and dying and bring them into your house. Bring them into your family and let them know what Jesus sees them as. 
Father, bless your people, protect your people, and bring them back safely. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you all next Sunday. Take care, family. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.